0: Blink this month, and the idea is to explore the experience, if you will, of intuition. And I know some people say, oh, you know, I just wasn't born with intuition, or, or intuition is something that you either have or you don't have, and and his theory, quite the opposite. His theory is we all are born with an innate sense of intuition and through our own experiences and through our own noticing and awareness we can actually get pretty darn good at intuition. It's very useful. It's part of uh, God's gift to us just uh, along with our other senses and uh, And we've been exploring that this month. In particular last week we talked, you'll remember about the uh, the experience of, uh, of our what is he, the 29th present? Uh, uh, anyway the idea of it was called the Warren Harding problem and that's when we assume through our gut reaction that because we like someone they will necessarily be good at something else right and so our intuition says this is a really uh, a really nice person so therefore they'd be great at being a babysitter of my children do you see the disconnect there When we apply our intuition to an area of our life that maybe we need more information around. So last week we were talking a little bit about when our intuition can lead us astray. Uh, Where I want to start today, though, is really anchoring this back in spiritual principle. And so I did a little research in terms of Ernest Holmes because I thought, well... I wonder what someone maybe a little wiser than me would think about this whole intuition thing in general. And so here's what, uh, here's what Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, had to say. And this comes from his uh, book in 1934 called Can We Talk to God? Obviously a book about intuition. He says, the person who goes deeply into his or her own nature will find that God speaks in a language more subtle than the human language. In that universal language of spiritual emotion, which is instinctive in humanity and held in common by all civilization, by all creation, by all people who have lived, this is the universal language of emotions, senses, feeling, intuition, and instinct. Sometimes we call it our conscience, sometimes we call it a hunch. Sometimes we call it a vision or a dream, but it makes no difference what we call it. It is a direct revelation of omniscience, of wisdom, through us. And then he goes on to quote uh, from the New Testament, from John 14. And uh, th- these are the words of, of Jesus, one of the master teachers. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father to give you an advocate to help you and to be with you forever forever. It is the spirit of truth. The world cannot always accept this wisdom because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know the wisdom of truth, for it lives within you and will be with you always. And so the idea of this, uh, in fact, in some Bibles, it's called the Holy Spirit of wisdom that is always with us, that that instinct of knowing when something is good for us, when something is bad for us, that idea of our higher wisdom self, if you will, being present always if we but listen. Now today I'm going to talk about, uh, well, three things really, first of all. Um, making sure that our intuition is in its proper context, uh, and we'll reveal more about the idea of context in a minute. We're also going to be talking about a very specific brain function that can lead us astray called sensation transfer. All of these, you know, marvelous terms in psychology. But where I really want to start is uh, with, a, a, and you're going to laugh, I'm sure, but with the idea of really. Knowing what someone is thinking, almost like, a, um, what do you want to call it? Almost like a brain intuition. Now, who's here has children or has had children, I guess? All right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Don't you sometimes just know what they're thinking, <laughs> even when their words are doing something else, <laughs> right? Right? Now, now I, I know for years that it was called not mind reading, but kind of parents' intuition. But it's actually a real thing. And we actually can apply it to our real-life adventure. And where it comes about, believe it or not, is facial recognition. Guess how many different emotional expressions we can have on our face. Ten thousand. There are seven different muscle groups in our face, and if you do the the seven times seven times seven times, right, you actually get over 10,000. Now, the good news is most of them are nonsense. You know, when kids just make funny faces, they're doing some of those 10,000, and so uh, so, Probably around 7,000 of the 10,000 convey one emotion, which is goofy. <laughs> and so, so don't be fooled by, by goofy. You know, there's all different, you know, looks of goofy. Uh, but there are about three or 4,000 emotions that are actually real and different and subtle, but we can pick up on them and I want to focus on just a, a few of them today. In fact I'll start with a story. So believe it or not, when I first started with the telephone company, I was gasp in retail sales. And I'm not a natural salesperson. I, I, you know, I went through the training and I did fine. I took, a, a, took some tests on whether I'd be good at it and in the written form, I'd be great at it. And, and in my interview, I must have like plucked up a certain amount of charm because they, they got me out on the sales floor and they buddied me up um, with, a, with an older salesperson named Barbara Mickelson. And so we're going about doing our sales work. in the tele- This is when there were telephone stores not selling cell phones, but believe it or not, selling phones you had to plug in, of all things. And so we're doing our job, and my friend, my mentor, really, Barbara Nicholson, came up to me, probably about the end of the third day, and she said, Larry, you're in trouble. You know, you haven't really made much of a sale in three days, and although you're a nice kid, well, she, she was like 50 and I was like 20, right? So that, that's how I got the nice kid epitaph. But she said, you need to come into the women's room with me. And so she blocked, she, well, now bear with me here. So she, she blocked the door. The two of us went in and she said, you need to learn how to smile, right? You're just smiling with your mouth. And so she showed me that I was doing this now, it is a smile, and in fact, ventriloquists use this kind of smile, right? You can actually smile without really moving anything else and still talk and probably drink water and things like that. But it doesn't look very sincere, does it? See, this is the trouble. Our emotions are actually fairly complicated. And when our gut feeling tells us that there's something wrong going on here. This And this is what you parents have going for you, especially with your own kids, when they give you a line of malarkey. Their mouth is doing one thing, but their face is actually doing something else. And even though you can't put your finger on it, for instance, my, as Barbara Mickelson said, my, my coach, she said, you need to smile with your eyes more. And I'm like, Barbara, my eyes don't smile. What do you mean? It's my mouth that smiles. And she said, no, you watch me. And she did, of course, a real smile in the mirror. And then she did my smile in the mirror. And I went, "Oh my god, the eyes are involved." And so, and so you can of course can train yourself to more specifically recognize this, but you know what? The good news is you don't have to. You intuitively know when someone's smile is disingenuous. Now, you might have not said, well, it was the eyes that were wrong. You might not have said that it was the pupils that didn't dilate quite right, or the nose that narrows. All, all things that if you actually get into the science of facial expressions, those are all pieces of it, but you still would have known something's not quite right here. He's saying one thing, but something else is going on. And it doesn't even have to be just the words that go with it. If your eyes are out of sync with your mouth, people will get the idea that something's quite that something's just not quite right here. I don't know what's going on. And we don't need to think necessarily that it's something bad, right? It isn't about lying or telling the truth. We simply will notice that their face isn't coinciding with what they're thinking and that appropriately is a sign for us to ask for more information what's going on here we don't need to make assumptions that someone's lying to us or wants to treat us poorly or anything like that it's probably not the case all it means is their face is out of sync with what they're saying or what they're thinking so that's our opportunity to clarify What's going on? Are you, really, you said you're feeling great today, but I'm getting a different vibe. Well, that vibe is their face. That vibe are the other clues about them that are telling you, I don't think she is okay today. Let me ask a couple more questions. You know, Did you sleep okay? Uh, you know, so, you know, what's going on? You know, it's fine for you to say you're fine, but I just have this sense. You know, I want to be friendly, and I have this sense that things aren't quite what they seem. So if you really want to know what's going on, first of all, trust your judgment trust that gut feeling because we have all the clues and we don't need to be able to define we don't need to be able to say you know Nancy your eyes didn't widen quite enough and your nose didn't narrow quite enough so i know your smile is phony <laughs> you know we don't need we don't need to figure that out all we need to know is there's something that just that sense of there's something being unsaid here something's not quite adding up. That should be our invitation to clarify. So that's one of the ways we can use our intuition in a super positive way to really find out what's going on. All right. the next thing I want to talk about is context information and this is really important because sometimes our intuition we don't actually use a range of context around it and to get into this unfortunately I'm going to use the Pepsi, Coca-Cola story, and just bear with me, this isn't an implication that any of you drink Pepsi or Coca-Cola, or that you should, but if you'll remember back in the, I think it was the late 70s, there was the big Pepsi taste challenge. Remember that on TV? I know some of you are too young to remember it, so you'll just have to take my word for it. But it was all over the news and on billboards and things like that. And the survey, the study was that in a blind taste test, it was like seven out of ten people preferred the taste of Pepsi over Coke. Well, now this was like a huge thing because Coca-Cola for years and years and years had the the dominant market share, quite a significant market share. And they were worried, of course, that with this advertising, um, that things would shift. People who had maybe never tried Pepsi would try it and abandon the field for a better taste. And so, of course, the Coke people, because they had such a big market share, they were thinking that the Pepsi people were cheating somehow, right? They're like putting extra sugar in or, you know, it's not a fair, you know, somehow they're getting uh, invisible clues or, you know, something that tests have got to be rigged and so the Coca-Cola people brought a 1,000 people in and did their own taste tests. and guess what? Everyone did like Pepsi better. <laughs> Much to their horror, they discovered that that is what the taste test showed. And so that's where New Coke came from. They actually reverse engineered Pepsi Cola and made New Coke taste sweeter and there was a whole like nine different things they did to it and you'll remember the backlash from that right then they had to come out with classic coke and do you know and do you know why they had to come out with classic coke because the reality is more people prefer coke than pepsi now you might ask me and here's where we get into context here's the real important thing about context you might say Well, why didn't that come out in the taste test? For those of you who are cola drinkers, how do you actually drink cola? Do you just close your eyes and take one sip? See, this is the problem. When they gave people a can of Pepsi and a can of Coke, identical cans, gave them some nachos and pizza and said, enjoy yourself. And at the end of the hour, they asked them what they preferred. Overwhelmingly, people picked Coke. No one closes their eyes and takes a single sip of a carbonated beverage. This is the power of the context Your intuition needs to be in the context in which you wish to have whatever it is expressed. So if you get a gut feeling about a dishwasher while you're out shopping, you better have some stemware with you. You better... No, no, I'm, I'm not kidding, because you'll have to have some intuition around how something works in a showroom right? It's like buying a bed without trying it out, without lying on it. It's like buying a a sofa without sitting on it. And ideally, you would even be better, your intuition would even be more likely to give you good information if it could be in your home when you're sitting on it, seeing it against your other furnishings and your wall colors. Often our intuition will lead us astray if we don't have the context in which we intend to use that information. Our gut feeling will be, well, this is the nicest of the toaster ovens at Target. Well, big deal. You're not gonna be doing your cooking at Target, right? (laughs) Okay. Now, I know this sounds weird in a way, like why are we going over this information? But this applies to nearly everything. When you meet a friend, Out of context, you are apt to have a very different idea of what they're like. So if you meet someone in the line at Safeway store, the Safeway store, and you have a snap judgment of, well, this person's just kind of uppity and rude. You've got them in the context of the Safeway store, where maybe they were out of the products they wanted, and the, the, the clerk wouldn't take their coupons, and you know who knows what the context is. But it isn't in the context of friendship. Do you get me here? And the same thing, uh, y- you know, for years and years. Well, I should say, for years in my life, the context often where I would meet people was a bar. This is a sad thing, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, for a good portion of my single adult life, the place that we were kind of counseled to meet people was like singles clubs and whatnot. This is actually kind of a terrible place to meet people, isn't it? There's all kinds of context around drinking and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, sexual hooliganations. Hooliganations? There's a nice word. <laughs> I think I like that word. I'll patent that. But, but, but get me, right? This isn't the context in which you would really enjoy being with someone in a way other than going out for dancing and drinks or something. So, so again, context everything. It makes a difference. Your intuition is great, but it needs to be in the context that you would normally expect to be with that person to use that product. It's like going by how shampoos smell in the store. Not really the best. You need to just buy one and take it home and try it in the shower. Okay, so that's context. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about is the idea of sensation transfer. Now, this one is a subtle one, and we're going to go back to Coke and Pepsi for just a moment. How do you think we decide whether something tastes good or not? Now, we might be tempted to say, go into a scientific example of how our taste buds work, and the fact that our tongue um, really has only, I think it's five or six different sensations possible to it, including salty and bitter and sweet, and I can't remember, I think there's seven if I remember anyway, but, uh, but really our tongue has not that much information, and so you'd think it would be really easy, right? Oh my gosh, believe it or not, it's all five senses. Now, who here is an avocado lover? And who here is an avocado hater? It it comes out just about right. One in every 20 people will absolutely hate avocados. And guess what? It's not involving their taste buds at all. It's the slipperiness factor. Believe it or not, our tongue senses the slipperiness of something. And for about one in 20 people, certain textures actually trigger revulsion and so for someone who is one of those avocado haters asking them to have avocado it isn't just well i don't really care for it it's like asking them to put something revolting in their mouth and they have no just in the same way that you would find something sweet and like well i don't have i can't say well no it doesn't taste sweet right they will have that same feeling It's because all of our senses are involved in it, and often we don't have that much control over it. So so back to Coke and Pepsi. The other thing that they discovered is beverages taste better in certain shaped glasses. (laughs) I swear to gosh, there are scientists out there figuring these, these things out. Uh, But for instance, a glass called, and I had to learn about this. It's in the book. If you get the book, you'll learn about this too. But a glass called a schooner, I didn't even know what that meant, Uh, but it's a typical kind of beer glass shape where it's small at the bottom and then it flutes out at the top. Beverages in those glasses will, on a factor of 10, be chosen over, and people will swear that whatever's in them tastes better, over glasses that are straight or glasses that are shaped differently. So restaurants serving their beverages in those shaped glasses, someone there knows what's going on. Because, gosh, you can can fake the Pepsi challenge 100% of the time just by putting whatever beverage you want to say tastes better in the glass shaped like that and put the other beverage in the glass that's straight up and down. So if you do want to fake the Pepsi challenge, you can do it 100% of the time just by putting it in the right glass. It isn't just our one sense, and it works for our other senses as well too. Someone uh, someone might say, well, uh, do you like the way this looks or the way this looks? You might think people are just using the intuition around their eyes. They're using their smell. They're using their whole body around it. And they're even projecting by how it looks, how it would feel. They're projecting on how it looks, how it might taste. Back to the the flavor syndrome. Have you ever had a kid just looking at a plate of food go like this? And you're like, you haven't even tasted it yet. And they're like. <laughs> it's because all of our senses work together. Okay, so why is this important? First of all, our instincts are totally appropriate for us. And when we talk about truth around here on Sunday, that would be the the small t truth. It's true for me. I don't like avocados. It's just true for me. I do like Pepsi, better than Coca-Cola. It's just true for me. And when you have that gut reaction, when you have that intuition, just go with it. It's not harming anyone. Why shouldn't you have the things you intuitively like? Why shouldn't you be called to do the things that intuitively seem possible for you and interesting to you? Absolutely. That's why we have an intuition. Often, however, we want to capitalize that T, And here's where judgment comes in. Have you known people who will say something that's good for them should be good for you or should be good in general? You see, here's the problem. When we begin blowing up our own ideas, our own intuition, and say, no, this is just the way it's done. The forks should always be on the left side of the dishwasher, and the plates should be, I remember when my mother came to my first apartment ever and she told me that I had done the kitchen all wrong. That the silverware was on the wrong side of the kitchen and the plates were on the and it's just wrong. You're never gonna be happy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so here is the caveat about our intuition. People will call you unchoice names when your ideas of the way things ought to be according to your intuition, when you start saying that's the way it should be, that's where we start getting into trouble. We need to be open for our ter- truth being a personal thing. Now, there are universal truths like love. There are universal truths like joy and like peace and like abundance. We, we teach universal truths here on Sunday that have the capital T with them. Those are applicable for everyone. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone can find a way in their own experience uh, for joy. Those are, those are capital T truths. But when we take our small teas, when we start saying, well, for the family, we're just gonna get vanilla ice cream because that's the flavor, right? <laughs> Haven't we all known people who, uh, here's where it used to be a style in the 50s where the man would order for the woman in a restaurant. It's like, how outrageous is that, right? So let us not be those people, Let us not assume that our intuition is good for anybody but us. That our impressions of the way things should be are the should be just just for us as individuals. It's the way I want to have my kitchen laid out. It's the kind of ice cream um, that is pleasurable to me. And when you're with other people, of course, maybe the avocados are served on the side. (laughs) Maybe there's a choice of salad dressing, right? Right? That is how we create a world that works for everyone by acknowledging that everyone has their own personal taste, everyone has their own intuition, and it works perfectly for them. All right. Let me see. Have I covered everything? We've covered sensation transfer, context information, all the fancy stuff. Ah, one other thing that I want to talk about back to context. There is the human how do I want to say it, predilection, if there's no context to assume it's bad. Hence, clear Coca-Cola. They tried it, they tested it, in a blind taste test, and we know exactly how useful a blind taste test is. It tasted identical. No one could determine the difference in how it tasted. No one would buy clear coca-cola because it was unknown not because it was bad it was actually better for you because they didn't put all the dyes in it actually isn't particularly colored they put the color in it's caramel number seven or something that they put in it to make it that color so it's actually healthier if it was clear not that it's healthy but it would be healthier but because It was an unknown factor. Colas just shouldn't be clear, right? People from the gecko said it tasted bad. just tastes terrible. Whatever makes it brown, you know, must be a big ingredient part of the flavor of it because it just tastes bad. So that's the other thing that I want you to be aware of. When an experience is new, you will tend to find fault with it. Don't just conclude that that's the end. Because after you have become more familiar with it, then your intuition can kick in in a different way and you'll start saying, this is not so bad. So for those of you who have tried exercising a certain way exactly once, or for for those of you who have tried a food you've never tried before exactly once, It may be that you actually like that thing if you will give it a few more chances. Okay, so I'm going to close today with a quote from Blink. And of course, because this whole chapter was on Coca-Cola, here you are. So I imagine that some of you, particularly those who are cola drinkers, are bristling at this point. I'm being a bit insulting. You think you really do know your way around a Pepsi or a Coke. Okay. I urge you to test yourself. Have your tester give you three glasses, not two. In two of the glasses, fill them with one of the colas and the third glass with the other cola. In the beverage business, this is called a triangle test. Now, I don't want you to identify which is a Coke and which is a Pepsi. All I want you to do is say, which of the three drinks is different than the other two? The test was done over 10,000 people and exactly one-third would guess right. 10,000 people could not tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi. Just the odds were one-third is just... Randomly, one third got it right. Let us pray. <laughs> there is one power, one presence, one light, one goodness. And what I know about God is that intuition of the divine is here in my heart right now, that the ability for me to choose accurately for myself personally is available for me always. It may not match up with the world outside. It may not match up with other people's opinions. But what I know is that there is personal guidance for me always. And it allows me to fulfill my life. It allows me to enjoy my food. It allows me to pick people into my environment that that are copacetic with me. It allows me to do so much of the things in this world relatively effortlessly and with great precision for me. And as I know it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, each person here. As we begin to listen to and, uh, and understand our own intuition, we begin building on it. It gets better. It begins suiting us better as we become more familiar with our friends and able to read their expressions. As we, we understand more of how our mind works, each of us, each of us finds solutions for ourselves that are ever better. And I also know that we have that capability of letting other people be, (laughs) of letting other people have their own truth for their own selves, whether it be avocados or cola beverages. I know that each one of us is right and perfect in our own solutions to life. And when we focus on them as our solutions, gosh, the world goes around so beautifully. And for this, for this, I give great thanks. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center, or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.